The Happy Even After Podcast. The Happy Even After Podcast. Divorce sucks, but it doesn't need to define you, and it doesn't need to be the end of your story. The Happy Even After Podcast. Meet your host, Renee Bauer, an award-winning divorce attorney, peacemaker, author, and founder of The D Course, an online divorce educational program. She's been doing this work for almost two decades, and she is passionate about helping all women make it out the other side. The Happy Even After Podcast. Let's jump in. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Happy Even After Podcast, and I have a VIP guest with me today. So let me introduce you to Judge Anthony Bompiani, who is a retired judge and family law attorney turn strategist, consultant, and coach. He's been helping people in the areas of divorce and custody for nearly 20 years. In addition to working with clients one-on-one and in small groups, he has created online training programs to help people around the world who are struggling with divorce and custody battles. He was named to the National Trial Lawyers Top 100 list for exemplary performance during his career. But he has sass, he tells it like it is, and he's a champion of the underdog. He's also kind of a TikTok celebrity. So we are here to talk about all things in the courtroom with Judge Anthony. Welcome. What's up, Renee? What's up, everybody? Thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. So we have the next half hour to get inside a judge's head. So this is going to be fun. <laughs> Absolutely. So I, don't know how, I don't know how deep you want to go with that. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> So, you know, let's start with this because everyone who gets divorced thinks they want to win. Like, is there actually winning in divorce? From my perspective, I think winning in divorce is winning outside of the courtroom and after divorce. That's why I think this, what you're doing is so cool because that's where the winning is. You know, I mean, obviously like with divorce, you, you want to make sure that you get your fair share of the assets, that you get your fair share of alimony if you're entitled to it, whatever, But ultimately speaking, I mean, that stuff is really secondary so long as you, you know, maintain the mindset, the happiness, you know, peace of mind, the energy and the courage to move forward in your life, that sort of thing. So I think that's where the winning is. As a judge, and you you were on the bench for what, five years? Yes. So did you ever have a really hard time deciding how to resolve a case? No, I didn't. You know, I think part of the reason I was always very good at separating myself, and I'm sure you probably are too with your cases. And I I think that's natural as being an attorney. But one thing I did in my career too, that really helped with that was I I worked part-time for a period of like five or six years at the public defender's office. So I did a ton of like really nasty criminal Mm -hmm. cases that were really like, if you, if you would let them get to you, they could really harm you, you know? So I kind of got really good at separating, you know, my work from my life. So when I was on the bench, I would just, you know, the the moment of time that I was there listening to cases, I would just listen to it like some, like they were giving me data, you know, facts as data, assessing credibility, and then making my decision. And then that was it. The moment I got off the bench, you know, I forgot about it. All right. So then that just leads to the next question, credibility. How does a judge actually assess credibility when so much of what happens in family court is a he said, she said? Yeah. I mean, I think in family court, I think the best thing that people need to do when they're being credible is mannerisms obviously Mm -hmm. are important. And it's, you know, like your tone of voice, your pace, your eye contact, all of that sort of stuff. But however, you know, I think most judges know that there is an element of nervousness when people get into the courtroom. 
So that's one of the reasons like with the things that I teach people, because my theory always is like, I want them to be able to show their true self to the judge and to the courtroom. I don't want them to go in so nervous because, you know, people have nervous laughs, you know, they have nervous facial expressions and it might not have anything to do at all with credibility. It might be just nerves, but if you're in front of the wrong judge, they might look at that as a credibility issue. So that's one of the things I like to try to coach people and consult people with is preparing them for what's going to happen and learning ways to like maintain their sanity, how to, you know, stay calm in court, because that's the unfortunate thing is a lot of those things that have to do with nerves are also tells credibility, you know, now the other way that judges do it obviously is like with a good cross-examination, you know, whenever the other attorney shows that the person's lying or not telling the whole truth or exaggerating or, you know, tending to make up stories. That's all really big too. So that's another thing, you know, uh, how it goes when you're on cross-examination, if your client can handle cross-examination, you're going to have a leg up in the case like big time, or if you're going against an attorney who doesn't know how to do it, you know? So, so true. So I always used to instruct my clients that for in a trial, the facial expressions they make when they're sitting at the table and not actually testifying are almost more important than what's happening up there. Because I watch judges watch them when the spouse says something that might be inflammatory, they look and see the reaction. And when I have a client who's rolling their eyes and throwing their pencil down and, you know, like I want to like jab them with my elbow or like stomp on their foot with my heel because the judges are watching that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, you're hundred percent right. And the thing that people don't realize, unless they have an attorney who's going to tell them this is like, they could be using that time to really help the lawyer, you know, really like writing notes or reminding the lawyer of a piece of evidence or a witness or someone, you know, that can counteract, you know, go against what the current witness is saying instead of like, laughing or or huffing or rolling your eyes, like you could really be helping your lawyer at that time. Yeah, it's so true. And writing notes and sliding it over at the right time and not like elbowing your lawyer and like stabbing the paper because your lawyer is trying to listen too. And it's, you know, keeping really detailed, organized notes makes all of the difference than like the chicken scratch that you're underlining and circling it over and over as if that's going to make more of an impact. Exactly. Yeah, I don't know how you handle that, but what I would always do you know, right before they would start the hearing, I would just tell my client, you know, here's a piece of notebook paper, write down everything you want to write down. If you can slide it to me, great, but please know that at some point I'm going to turn to you and say, is there anything like you want me to ask or cover or whatever? And it's not obviously that you're going to listen and, and follow every single thing. They, maybe there's something that's irrelevant or whatever, but for the most part, that's how I would always handle that because if, because I mean, it's a, it's a sensitive time for those people. So if you don't kind of guide them, they're going to be reacting how a human being would normally react in a high stress situation. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about narcissists because mm-hmm. we hear that buzzword all the time. Everyone thinks that their spouse is a narcissist and a lot of people have narcissistic tendencies, but as a judge, does that actually even matter when you're deciding custody? I don't think judges consider that when um, they're deciding custody. What I always tell people about is to instead of worrying about the the term or the diagnoses, worry about the behaviors and only the behaviors that are impacting the best interest of the children. You know, I mean, I do a lot of videos on TikTok and Instagram about narcissism. And of course, there's always the trolls that say, you know, only, I don't even know the stats, but however many percentage of people are diagnosed as narcissists, I think it's like 
2% or something like that. Or, and my argument to that is always, you know, I don't really care if they are or they aren't. If my client or somebody is dealing with these behaviors, yeah. because they're just as impactful in court as they are out of court, then I want to try to coach them how to get through that and how to deal with that. But as far as proving it in court, you know, I mean, you know how it goes with any sort of, you know, mental health diagnoses, even if they have one, even if they are a diagnosed narcissist, if they're treating it and they're taking care of that, then, then that's probably not even going to be an issue. So for people like that, I think personally that it's more important for them to learn how to deal with those people outside of court. Yeah. And then how to prepare themselves going into court to deal with all of the stuff. Cause you're going to be getting the charm, the lies, the, the, you know, like just how those kinds of people are. And if you don't know how to deal with that, you're going to play right into it. So yeah. I think that's more important than the actual, you know, word. So what would be your tip, your top tips on how to deal with someone who's high conflict outside of court? I have a whole, basically a communication guidance, I guess, for people. And basically what it is is anything that is harassing in nature, meaningless, meaning has nothing to do with the children if there's a custody issue, then basically you just ignore all of that. Now, sometimes judges, unfortunately, order that they have to respond in some way. So then my guidance is always just respond minimally, you know, like just to respond, to tell the court that you did respond. Next any type of false allegation that someone makes to them. I always like for people to use the phrase, you know, that's not true. And the only reason why I even tell people to say that is to basically, because sometimes people get afraid that like, if they don't deny it, that like, they're going to go into court and then all of a sudden the judge is going to be like, well, you didn't deny it. So it's true. I think that's crap to be honest with you, but to make people feel better about it, that's the way I tell them to respond. No counter argument, no counter punch, no, no nothing. Just, you know, that's not true. And then let it go. And then people say, well, what happens if they come back and say, yes, it is true. Well, you, you don't like, you're not there to convince them. You're right. not there to win the argument against them. Like you're there to set up yourself for court. And then a lot of times people will get like mixed messages from a narcissistic type mm -hmm. person, you know? something little in the email about the children that they need to respond to and then some other harassing stuff or whatever. Well, in those situations, you really got to take your time and you got to really go through and look at what's worthy of a response or not. And then finally, if there's ever anything at all that's remotely close to being positive, I like to talk about it like you're training a dog. It's like if you're trying <laughs> to train the dog to go to the bathroom outside, when they go to the bathroom outside, you're going to praise them, give them a treat. But even for like the youngest puppy who might not know that yet, if they go to the bathroom by the door, you might even like praise them or, or give them a treat or whatever. It's the same with people like that. If they do anything remotely close to a, a productive conversation, then you must respond productively back. And, and the reason why is one of the, the most important currency to them is your attention. Right. So anytime you give them their attention, that behavior is going to be reinforced. But people don't understand that also your most valuable currency is also your attention. So and the cool thing is you get to decide on who you have to give that to. Right. That's one thing that we have that we can really control that. So that's why bad behavior, take away your attention. You know, it's like training a dog somewhat good behavior, give them your attention, have a productive conversation. And then the other area other than communication is obviously boundaries and mindset, you know, that you got to have firm boundaries. You got to protect yourself. And it's not always like people think that 
you know, having good boundaries means that you're going to be able to control their behavior. Like that's not it at all. It's so that you can prevent them from controlling your behavior. You know what I mean? You know when to react, when not to react, when to keep yourself open for communication, you know? And then finally, your mindset. Your, your mindset is huge. I mean, it, it's huge with non-narcissistic type people in a divorce, you know? I mean, I, I went through a divorce. My ex is not narcissistic at all. And I really, you, like, it's just a natural thing to have mindset issues. You know, you can really get down a rabbit hole of doom and gloom if you let yourself do that. And the only, the problem is, is that leads to more, you know, it leads to more doom and gloom. So those are basically the three areas of the communication, the boundaries and the mindset that are very, very important if you're dealing with someone like that. Judge Anthony, we see all the time people bring up the term parental alienation. That's another yeah. buzz phrase. Mm-hmm. And do you think that that's overused in the courts? Yeah, I think it's probably overused. It's funny that you mention it because I've been getting a lot of crap recently on Instagram for <laughs> even using that word from certain, you know, victims groups, which I get it. Like, I understand why it's such a sensitive word. But the problem is it is used in the courtroom. And I feel I'm, I'm doing people a disservice if I'm not out there talking about it, telling them how to overcome false allegations for it, telling them like there are a lot of people that are abused by parental alienation. You know, so telling people how to fight against parental alienation. I know in the many different victims groups, they came at me pretty hard on Instagram and a little bit on TikTok, which is fine. Like I get it. Everybody has their position and their mission, but is it overused? Yeah, it is overused. I mean, that's like the go-to, you know, that's like the go-to to say if a child doesn't want to be with the parent or the, the parents protecting the child from the parent, then it's automatic parental alienation. But the problem is in, in what I try to tell people on Instagram, and, and again, this is just my opinion. I'm not the, you know, the knower of everything, but my opinion is if you eliminate that term, it's just going to be another term that people yeah. use. So the bottom line is you have to just know how to overcome false allegations and to overcome when it's being done to you. So yeah, I, I do think it's overused, but I also think, I mean, I don't think that's anything we're ever going to be able to control because I think if that term's eliminated, then it's just going to be another term, you know, that they're going to replace with it. What are the things that are the behaviors that you've seen that people have done that actually harm their position or, or custody case? Like what's the stuff that they absolutely should not be doing? I mean, one of the first things I always tell people when I get a lot of blowback from this too, is to not post on social media. That can really like... Yeah take a case that should be very lopsided and make it even, you know, because I kind of always explain things with family court. Like it's almost like you're basically like playing in in like a muddy sandbox, I call it, you know? And if they're, if they're the ones sitting in there throwing around all the dirt and the mud, if you jump in there with them, then the court's not going to know who's who, who's doing what. It's like, if you, you know, everybody that's in a custody battle has kids. It's like, if you have multiple kids, and you hear your kids arguing upstairs. And then when you come upstairs, they're like accusing each other back and forth. Like he did this, she did this, he did that, he, he did this. And then at some point as a parent, you're going to be like, look, both go to a timeout, both do, you know, and that's how it is with court. When you're always attacking and doing like the sub tweets and like the social media posts about your ex, regardless of if it's true or not. Cause I hear a lot of people say, well, if it's true, then you can't really do anything about it. Yeah. Like that's fine. Like you can't from a free speech or a a slander or or defamation case, but you still, like I always say, I've never seen anyone in my life win a case on social media, but I've seen a bunch of people lose them. 
So my theory always is, and you probably have the same theory, as long as you're following the rules of ethics and the laws, you do everything you can to win and to get a favorable result for your client. And if one of those things is not posted on social media, then I just think it's smart not to do it. Coming at you this spring, the She Who Wins Summit is my first live event. There is no other event like it out there. It's not a stuffy, boring conference. The She Who Wins Summit is a day-long event for women who are ready to up-level their life. This event will inspire you. This event will motivate you. This event will move you. Are you ready to supercharge your self-belief and ignite your soul? Join us. For more information, check out www.shewhowins.com. Hope to see you there. So that's what our office actually does is if we're looking at a custody trial or hearing or battle, we're looking on the other spouse's social media page. And we have won cases because of things that people have posted because the judge thought that, you know what, this person can't make good parenting decisions because they can't control themselves and they're disparaging their other spouse and everything else about them lined up for them to really be a really good parent, except they could not control themselves because they were looking for that sympathy. I mean, people lose cases based on what they post on social media. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and like I said, I've never seen anybody win one. Yeah. I just don't think it's possible. So that that's a big thing. I mean, courtroom demeanor is pretty big just because it's such a triggering topic for people, understandably so. But if you react wrongly, you know, that can kind of make the court see things differently. And then all of the stuff, whatever the laws are in your state, all of the different things you know, that have to do with the best interest of the child, you know, like abuse or, you know, primary care or, you know, whatever your laws are, those are all of like the biggest things. But those two things, your demeanor and your reactions in courtroom and your social media, and then also the way you communicate, if you're communicating in writing, you know, if you're always disparaging your spouse or, or your ex or whatever, if you're doing it in front of the children, like that's always an ultimate no-no. Those are like the big hot topics, simple things that can be adjusted rather easily. So what do you think about, I want to get inside your judge's brain for a second, because so often a client thinks that if they hire the so-called Pitbull lawyer, the one who pounds their chest and stomps their feet and yells the loudest, they're going to get the best representation and the best result. And as a lawyer, we know like when we see that person come into a case, we're like, oh great, this case is going to be longer and more expensive than it needs to be. What are your thoughts on the person, not the person who hires the lawyer, but that lawyer, that pit bull lawyer who comes into the case, you know, putting on the whole horse and pony show as to how it impacts their case? I think from a judge's perspective, I don't think that that has a huge impact on the case. I think where that has a huge impact on the case is number one, like you said, the expenses. That's huge, you know, because a lawyer like that who's just going to be like, attacking you like crazy, you could go broke trying to compete with that, right? That's number one. Number two is basically going to be you're exhausted from dealing with it. You know, you're eventually just going to be like, it's going to be like a fight or flight type thing. You're either going to hurt yourself by fighting and reacting the wrong Mm -hmm. way, or you're going to just throw in the towel and be like, you know, this is it. I give up. Now it doesn't have to be like that. I'm not saying that those kinds of lawyers can't be beaten. I mean, like, I'm sure you've beaten ones like that all the time. So have I, those are the two big things. And then also like, uh, and I kind of mentioned this already with the other two topics that I covered, but the way you react is huge. I mean, because it could be very frustrating, 
you know, to have someone like that, especially the way they can act towards you in court. Or like, if you've never read a letter from one of those people that are just so nasty, you know, but people have to understand that people like that are basically, in my opinion, trying to do two things. Number one, they're trying to run up the bill because you're trying to make a ton of money because you can, and they're trying to put on a show for their client. Yeah. A lot of times those people say shit that's not even like relevant and it gets under the other side's skin and it makes their client happy because their client's like, oh mm-hmm. yeah, you know, they put them in their place or whatever. Legally, it didn't really do anything, but you know, it's like any fight or any competition. If you can get inside the mind of your opponent, you know, you, you probably have a better chance of winning. Yeah, so true. What are your thoughts on starting any divorce with this thought that both parents should be equal parents, that there should be 50-50 custody? Because I see this all of the time with a lot of the women who are in my circle or in my private Facebook group. They think that because they've been the primary caregiver, maybe they were a stay-at-home mom, that they should automatically get a majority of the parenting time and dad should just have some sort of visitation plan. As a judge, what's your take on that? I think as long as there's no like long length of time that the parent hasn't been involved in the child's life, as long as there's no abuse history, and as long as there's no violent criminal history or some sort of drug and alcohol or mental health issue that's not being treated, as long as any of those things aren't in existence, I think you should start with a 50-50 presumption. You know, I really do. And I heard at least once that you know, and it's, it's the same kind of people who are kind of angry with me about the parental alienation thing, which again is fine. I've also heard whispers of the fact that a 50-50 is a, a method of abuse. And mm. I understand why people feel that way because, you know, until you've walked in their shoes, I guess. But in a regular case, like I said, without all of that stuff, all that negativity, 50-50, I mean, I can't imagine not having 50-50 with my boys. Yeah. You know, 50 50s not enough. Now I say not enough, not ever one thing more because I think they need their mom 50% of the time. But I mean, let's face it, you know, any night that you're not kissing your kids goodnight is too many nights, you know, if it's one night a week, you know, I mean, I do week on week off and the week that I'm not with them, it's been four years and it still sucks. Like from, from a parent's perspective, you know what I mean? So I can't wrap my head around how, if the circumstances are like the the negativity that I covered, if, if you don't have those circumstances, I can't wrap my head around why there wouldn't be 50, 50, or why there wouldn't at least be a presumption of 50, 50. You know, I guess in another one that I didn't mention was uh, distance between households, Uh, obviously, like if there's a long distance, can't always do 50-50. But other than that stuff, I think there should be a presumption for it. I think it's what's in the best interest of the child because, you know, none of us are perfect parents and we all have certain weaknesses. But the other thing is we all have certain strengths, you know, like my ex does certain things with the kids where her strengths as a parent in certain areas are so much better than mine. You know, mine, mine are like, I'm more of like the disciplinarian, you know, if there's an issue, she'll like call me or text me and, you know, we'll we'll try to come at it from a different angle. But Parents have different strengths that need to be exploited and different weaknesses that need to be made up by the other parent's strength. Yeah. And that means that you don't have to parent exactly alike because so often I also hear, well, they're not doing it my way or there's different rules in different houses and you don't need to have the same rules in each house in order for a co-parenting relationship to work. And I agree with you completely. I think that Absolutely. Like I have a really good co-parenting relationship with my son's dad. I'm grateful 
for that. And he's the first person I call if something comes up or I need help with something. And, you know, I I wouldn't want it any other way. And I get that some people just can't have that and it's high conflict and it's not possible, but a lot of people just don't want it. You know, they don't want to have, and and I think that that's a different conversation because yes, you're going to get the hate when you say that everyone should have it. But most times I'd say more times than not, there's no reason not to put something like an equal parenting plan in place. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And you, you hit the nail on the head with the rules. Like it doesn't have to be the same rules, but you just need to have a respect for each other, especially when it's concerning the kids or, or disciplining the kids or whatever, you know, like my ex and I don't have the same sets of rules. I mean, I can't even give you an example of difference, but I know we're not completely the same, but if there's ever an issue, we'll get on the phone and we'll, you have to have like a unified front if you're doing right. it the right way. You know what I mean? Like you have to respect, you know, if they are grounded for something mm-hmm the other house like you can't just you know even though you might not have that same rule it's not really effective if they come to dad's then and it's just like a free-for-all you know so yeah I think the 50-50 thing if it's if the circumstances are right I think it should be presumed all right Anthony what do you have out in the world helping people through their custody cases I know you have a offering a ton and you have clients from around the world so share share all of that here yeah i mean the easiest way is to my content on social media on tiktok and on instagram on tiktok it's judge anthony and on instagram it's anthony bompiani and then i do a uh, a free master class sometimes it's live sometimes it's recorded but it mimics a live so you get a feeling of it and that is uh how, how to beat a narcissist in custody court without going crazy and that is at webinar.judgeanthony.com And then my main program is basically my course. It's called Custody Case Mastery. And it basically works through what I call the four pillars of success for any custody or divorce case. And that's mindset, communication, preparation, and presentation. And my theory is if you can master those four things, the chances of you getting a favorable result in and out of court are going to be a lot higher. And that is at mastery.judgeanthony.com. That's a paid course. And so this is information that you're providing as a former lawyer or well, still a lawyer as a former judge. So yeah. this is tried, true practice. You've been through it. You've lived it yourself personally. You've yep. worked it professionally. So you know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I know what I'm talking about. And um, the cool thing is, is like when I first created the program, I was hoping and praying that I could, you know, cause I know what, it, what is in my mind works, you know, like you said, I've been doing it through my career. And then I also did a lot of it in my own case, not even necessarily in the courtroom, but outside of the courtroom stuff too. But I knew that it worked. It was just, if I was going to be able to convey it and then the testimonials started rolling in and they still do. And like you said, I mean, I'll get random testimonials from people. You know, I I have people in Israel that message me, thanking me like Denmark, Ireland. I have a lot of clients in Canada, some in the UK, some in Australia. So it's, yeah, it's cool. And the interesting thing is, is like, you know, the laws are different in all of those areas, but we're all human beings. Like we're all the same. We all react the same. We all react. We all care about our kids deeply. We all like hate the divorce thing because even if it's the best thing for you, it still hurts. Like in my divorce, my divorce was my idea, but it was still brutal. It was still like really, oh, yeah. really taxing to go through, you know? So, and that happens all around the world. That's just how we are wired as human beings, uh, you know, 
our affection for our kids and a, a romantic relationship that's destroyed and you know and then going into court when we don't know how, what to expect or what to do and doing the fight going through the fire or flight and all that so yeah it's a really cool it's a cool thing to be doing and uh, it's neat i love i love getting the success stories they mean a lot to me and there's so many of them out there i highly suggest that everyone follows judge anthony on tiktok you're not only informative it's really funny too it's entertaining so i don't want to leave that out there (laughs) thank you thank you yeah it gave me like a release to like just be myself on there i mean i look look like how i'm dressed like this is just me and then like the stuff i do i've always been like a little silly you know ever since i was a kid so it's fun to to use that stuff because let's face it you know other than being educated in in these circumstances you also have to be able to smile and laughter is kind of the best drug you know for that so that's kind of what I try to do so true so final question is what is one tip that you have for someone going through their divorce and how to survive it with their sanity intact Yeah, I think the biggest thing is, is when you're going through it, you have to realize that even though it might seem like the worst thing in the world, and it is, it's temporary. So you have to be able to manage yourself so that your future self will thank you. Mm. You know what I mean? So that you don't destroy your reputation or your reputation with your kids or with your community or the court or whatever. And when I say that, I don't mean like, you know, with smear campaigns and that kind of crap, because none of that stuff matters to me. I just mean like you can't destroy your foundation, I guess a better word than reputation, because you're going to have the rest of your life to live. And this is temporary. And like, you, you have to know that I always tell people to look at it as like, you're not just going through it, you're growing through it. And you have to know that this is temporary. What can I learn about myself from this? So that when this is all past, that I'm in the best position to live my life the way I want to live my life, you know? So I think that's, yeah. That's great advice. Absolutely great. So thank you so much, Judge Anthony. Thank you. Thank you for being here and sharing all of your behind the scenes of sitting on the bench. Absolutely. That's a wrap. Link up with us at MsReneeBauer.com. Remember to rate and review and share with anyone you think might find this episode helpful. You can change your story and live happy even after.